why Vietnam was a thing is because they thought that Vietnam was communist. And, you know, you see in a, a lot of American TV and, you know, you have the old military guy who's like, come back here, commie, or something like that, because communism is the enemy in America. And it, that's the way it's seen by the government. The best music from the 60s to today. IPL Radio. Well, it's just me today, by myself, like um, a fool. No, just kidding. Um, Michael either might be coming on later today or not at all. We'll see how it goes. He's a busy, busy man doing busy, busy stuff for a family he loves so much. Um, so, yeah, it's just me, which means that we're going to have uh, scattered thoughts. We're going to have an interesting conversation. It's going to be, it's going to be, hopefully it's going to be a good one. So essentially the plan was we were going to talk about Stranger Things today, but that was going to be part of the conversation. We also wanted to talk about, um, visit that website that we visited um, uh, two weeks ago and we found all the stuff about uh, uh, Raylanism and all the cool, uh, the interesting sort of situation that we have there. Um, so... Yeah, so speaking of that, so, <clears throat> let's, let, let's get into it. So, Stranger Things, by the way, there's going to be spoilers. We're going to be talking about it. There's going to be spoilers. Um, Stranger Things Season 4 has completed. Uh, it came out in two volumes. I think we got, like, what, like seven episodes the first time, and then two, uh, one hour and a half, and then two hour and a half episode, pardon me, episode following, um, I think, like, two weeks, three weeks later, um, which leads into like kind of the the discussion um that you know is this binge model that Netflix has kind of become known for is that a sustainable way to be watching TV shows um because I think what happens from a consumer point of view is you know um I've just started a job so you know and it's a full-time job so I don't have the time that I had before right and if uh 10 hours of content comes out all at once and people watch those 10 hours and then on the internet saying oh it was great it was crazy when this guy died or when this guy died or whoa that was insane and like you know sometimes as a consumer that can be pretty disheartening when you see the spoilers that are out there um but then with weekly episodes there's so much anticipation so disney have run on a weekly model i think with all their um all their shows um so i don't know comparing the two so right now miss marvel is out in disney which is uh it's it's great i i feel excited to watch each episode if i i reckon if i was watching this all at once i probably wouldn't enjoy it as much and the same can be said for the first disney plus show uh the marvel one which was uh wandavision um it really lent itself to the episodic nature because each episode was a different era of tv and it could exist sort of on its own without um without sort of the the whole narrative needing to be involved you know each episode was was its own thing um but i think for the future i genuinely think that i that you know shows like stranger things and umbrella academy should be re- released episodically one it allows people to um it, well first of all it allows the show to breathe it means it um Content creators, um, you know, not like uh, you know myself and Michael and you know those big YouTube uh, networks like uh, New Rockstars and stuff. It gives them time to actually process information as it comes out. Um, it also means that people can 
you know, catch up, you know, you know, there might be an episode or two behind, which is fine, because you're not an entire season behind, um, if you, if you have, like, a week or two where you can't actually watch anything, so, I think that, um, I think that this, you know, I, 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 I think that the binge model might work for some shows, perhaps animated shows, uh, kid shows, mainly, um, because, you know, we're not really hanging on to those, but, like, these sort of more, mystery shows like you know umbrella academy and net and uh stranger things i think a, a week by week release would definitely increase the anticipation of these shows so there, that's my two cents you know that's my um <clears throat> verdict um so yeah so we did actually have a question of the week it was my turn to put the question up this time and stranger things related i asked um uh, Stranger Things 4 lived up to the hype. Uh, yes, I loved every season of it, or man, it was overhyped. And I also said, let us know your thoughts. It was a 50-50, exactly. Um, some people really enjoyed it, and some people did not. So let's have a look at some of the comments we got. Um, so the part two trailer lowered the stakes. Part one ended with... Also, obviously, again, I'm going to reiterate, spoilers. Um, part one ended with Nancy being under Vecna's curse. Then she's seen in the trailer for part two, perfectly fine. She should have been left out to create suspense and wonder, is she going to be okay? Is she going to be the next victim? And, um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, the way that the, this show was marketed, obviously they did a really good job of, um, with the trailers, sort of adding to a lot of the... Um, the intrigue and mystery behind it. But the the... Part two trailer did obviously reveal a lot. You know, you're ending on a cliffhanger, and then you see the trailer the next day, and suddenly that cliffhanger is no longer a cliffhanger. It's uh, oh, turns out the cliff was actually just uh, six inches tall, and I'm just a little big baby. Um, but yeah, so I yeah I I personally really enjoyed this season. I think that Strange Things hasn't been getting like necessarily better and better. But I think the storylines, because we, we're sitting with characters that we actually care about, the storylines are evolving and maturing. Um, and there is consistency. I think season two was the weakest. That's because I think the uh, the villain in that season wasn't tangible, unlike in the other three seasons, including this one. There was no tangible villain. You had the demo dogs in that season, but the actual villain, the Mind Flayer, was um, more of a, an essence of something. It wasn't necessarily the actual physical uh, manifest, like the physical being that uh, is out there. And I think that did weaken that that season, as well as having Elle's little side story where she meets one of the other uh, people who uh, was part of the experiment. So yeah, I but I think that the writing for all the seasons and the characters are generally good. The one thing that I'm I've realized that I've uh, struggled with is Mike. I'm not sure if it's with Finn Wolfhard himself or if the writing is just maybe forgotten about who Mike is. But when you look at Mike earlier on, and then you look at Mike now, there seems to be like he's he's a shell of the character he was in that first season. Uh, Dustin definitely is they've kept him the same they sort of kept that sort of quirky sort of um uh like what's the word eclectic brain that is dustin 
he's very similar, especially with you know how he talks to uh, to characters like Eddie and Steve. You're seeing those sort of similar traits, but Mike just seems like a bland guy now. Mike doesn't seem anything special, which is it's it's upsetting to say, um, but like it doesn't necessarily seem that like he is the same Mike that we that we had earlier on, which kind of sucks to be honest. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The character consistency generally is really good, apart from Mike, which kind of sucks. And I guess you know this season we're having a different perspective on romances you know season two and three we had the whole Jonathan and Nancy arc and you know going from Nancy being with Steve and then leaving Steve for like the quiet nerd that was a sort of like you know going against the archetype well I guess actually falling into stereotype there uh but now we've just ignored that relationship um and now we're having some Steve and Nancy revival and like you know, why can't there just be a polyamorous throuple? I think that will uh that will um solve everything. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about the Steve and Nancy stuff, but Steve is one of the best characters in this show. And I think that's entirely due to um Joe Carey. Um I watched his uh, his Netflix movie Spree, which is a found footage uh murder movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Joe Curie's performance in that, and I think that if you had anybody in the role of Jonathan, uh, not Jonathan, in, in in the role of Steve, that relationship just wouldn't be good. Um, I think that we would have probably hated Steve the way he was intended to be hated in the first season. You know, he was kind of like a, a a douche and like kind of uh, uh, up himself and stuff like that. And but then you know, in the second season, he just became the mum to these kids and it was so heartwarming and enjoyable to watch and I think that is entirely due to Joe himself I think he makes the character um but yeah I you know the consistency with characters this season you know I I think all the characters get their moments but I think that in saying that there is a lot of characters we had how many new characters did we get this season? We had one come back from the dead. We had another one join the roster. We had another one join the roster in Russia. We had another one join the roster in Russia again, except for different reasons. We had so many sort of new characters. And, you know, one of the things I didn't like about season three, um, I thoroughly enjoyed that season. It was probably my favorite season. But the one thing I didn't like about that is how the the plot ran with all these people in separate groups and then it wasn't until the f- last episode that they all get together and figured out that they're working they're all you know working towards the same goal now we have the same issue except they don't ever get together it's you know we have one team in russia we have one team traveling the states um in a pizza van and then we have one team in hawkins and there's no communication between them, but they all happen to get their uh, goals done at the same time, and it allows them to meet. And, you know, it feels a little bit contrived when you're looking at it from that way. And it feels that way from the position of a viewer, I think. You know, we're watching this, and we're like, oh, how is it that Murray is setting fire to a demigorgon at the same time that... Uh, L is in Max's head at the same time that Vecner is in Max's head. You know, it just it, it feels like it's a bit like 
they wrote out this plan and then they went, oh crap, they've got to meet, haven't they? And like, no, they don't. And then they just went with it that way. Um, but in saying that, you know, this episode was, this season was very, very enjoyable. Um, so yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Um, if you have any like particular thoughts about this, um, please hit up the Instagram, uh, verdict underscore IPL. If you want to just, you know, give us your detailed thoughts on what you think about this new Stranger Things, what you think about the seasons as a whole, if this season had any weaknesses that, you know, you think might be overlooked by a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so, so let, let's talk about the strengths of the season. So I think the season benefits from having uh, a personality behind the villain. You see, season one, it was just a monster. Season two, it seemed to be a monster with intelligence. And season three, it was the same monster as season two, but now he's got flesh. Um, season four, we actually have, like, a person. A f- uh, uh, something with some semblance of humanity behind them. And they are um, running the stuff. There's intelligence behind the thing that they're up against, which sort of adds to the threat, you see. Um... Whereas before, it was just a creature running on instinct. That's why these kids were able to take it down. Now it's a person who is calculated and and sort of intelligent enough to enact a plan. And I think that the um, it really sort of... It really helps itself with that. I think that that definitely elevated this season. And it made the threat a lot more... Um, tangible in a sense it wasn't just some creature who was out to maybe eat the kids i don't know but it was actually like some person with a goal and you know if if you haven't stopped listening because of spoilers now would be the time so obviously the villain being another kid from the hawkins lab i think that was probably one of the best twists that they could have done it means that this person is a foil to Eleven and the fact that they have kind of the same powers and um, they they sort of uh, are against one another it means that we kind of understand the level in which Vecna operates and it's it's interesting because Vecna seemed so powerful right Vecna seemed like oh he's just doing all this stuff but then when they explained how his powers worked and we were like, oh no, we've seen this all before. We've seen Eleven do this exact same thing. It's just, he's probably been doing it for longer and sort of biding his time. And that's why he's able to sort of do it the way he's doing it. And it kind of made sense. And it made it feel like all the three seasons be- beforehand were there to aid the uh, story, I think. I think that was, um, it, that it felt like, Sorry, I'm just looking something up really quick. Um, trying to see if I can get um, details and some stuff. So, yeah, it felt like... Um, it felt like, you know, it was all been leading to this point. Because if you look at a lot of other shows, if you look at, like, the CW shows, like, with the, the Arrowverse and stuff like that, or any kind of, like, network show, each season is its own thing. Um, it doesn't feel like they're telling a complete story. It feels like they're telling a complete story in a season, and then they move on to the next season, and maybe they bring something back or whatever. But with Stranger Things, it feels like it's one story, which is good. And this season, obviously, they cemented the fact that it is one story. Um, whereas before, you know, it was, it was Monster of the Week, basically, beforehand. And now we're like, oh, it's the same monster. 
which I thought was such a good bit of writing for that. Um, so, like, I I think that, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that that is a lot of... Um, that, that that is owed to like the Duffer brothers. I'm not sure if this is the was the plan from the beginning, or if you know they've been sort of uh, running with it and then feeling you know the what the audience is engaging with and going from there. Because you know that's how I run D and D. Um, is I've planned a very like fish skeleton of the structure, but you know I'm gonna add and take away depending on how my players react to certain information. You know, um, I won't be surprised if the Duffer brothers didn't do it this way um because to have this mapped out especially because you know this started in what 2016 so that's uh oh my gosh that's seven years ago <sighs> that's depressing yes yeah, so this started in 2016 and obviously we had a big break due to you know just a global pandemic or whatever and you know the fact that it's take like you know, a lot of the stuff has been slow burn if they just managed to bring it together just just because they could and it just so happened to um it just so happened to sort of work then that's lucky and amazing but if they thought of it ahead of time then i really appreciate that cuz i feel like you know so many so many things are getting cancelled at netflix like the santa clarita diet was such a good show and then it got cancelled by netflix and that kind of sucks because I really enjoyed that show, and then when you look at um, when you look at like uh, you know, for some reason Stranger Things, even though I think I remember when season three came out, it didn't have like as high viewership as before, and you know things were getting cancelled left, right, and center. But you know Stranger Things is the flagship show for Netflix, I think, and I'm glad we're able to see it played out to the end, um. Because I think, you know, they're going to do season five, but I think season five is meant to be the last season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the villain and the fact that he's one of the kids and, you know, it's it's a real person under prosthetics as well. And, you know, the fact that, you, of course, like these kids are seeing the villain through the lens of D&D, which is already like a really interesting way to... Um, to run that, you know, using Vecna, who, for those who don't know, Vecna is a lich, which is basically like an undead wizard. So, wizards are very powerful. Uh, and they're an undead wizard. They're, think about, like, Voldemort. You know, Voldemort split his soul every time he killed somebody, essentially, and he hid his soul in an object. And the only way to kill him was to destroy these objects. Uh, a lich is very similar. They have something called a phylactery where they put their soul inside it so you can kill them. But they'll keep coming back, you know? And uh, Vecner is this... Uh, if, you, if, you ever, if you watch Critical Role, he's one of the villains in uh, Campaign 1. I haven't watched Campaign 1. I do want to watch it, but it's a lot to watch. Uh, but he's one of the villains there. He's this classic D&D villain. You know, him, Tiamat, the Tarasque, and a Beholder... They're all like the cornerstones of D and D villainy, and is is I like how I I'm assuming the Duffer Brothers took some design elements from Vecna or some sort of uh, prompts. I'm gonna say because um, so in in D and D, Vecna 
at one point he was just a hand and, and an eye. And when you look at Vecna in Stranger Things, one of his hands is gigantic and gross, and his eyes often curl to the back of his head when he's doing stuff. So I think they took those kind of like small detailed elements and make them ac- made them actual design elements of uh, the villain, which, again, so good. So yeah, the Mind Flayer looks nothing like what a Mind Flayer does in um, D&D. So in D&D, Mind Flayer looks a bit like a Cthulhu, but like five foot tall, you know, like a like human-sized. They've got like a squid face and they're purple. Uh, and the, the Demogorgon looks nothing alike. But, you know, with Vecna, they definitely took those like design elements. And yeah, I don't know. I quite like that. It, it makes it it makes it feel like they've returned to a bit of like the core idea of the show and made it what's the word it's almost like a a homage to itself which is a weird way to look at it but that's kind of the way I kind of see it um but yeah the villain I guess yeah the villain of this season and I guess next season um top tier stuff so I just looked up some stuff right um because the whole thing about these kids that are being experimented on is that they were a part of Project MK Ultra, and I've um, I've talked about it on the sh- show before, actually. Um, uh, yeah, so essentially, MK Ultra was this. Uh, hold up, hold up, hold up. No, okay, cool. No, uh, MK-, MK Ultra was this uh, highly illegal. Uh, experiment done by the CIA, one of the many that they've done. By the way, the CIA are not good people at all. Uh, they've done not great stuff for as long as time has happened. Uh, it's just some files got declassified. We found out that the um, the CIA the CIA were testing to see if they could influence people's brains and sort of kind of the idea of telepathy uh, with high doses of psychoactive drugs such as, as LSD and electroshock therapy and basically messing with all the things that make us us you know they deprived people of uh, you know they went through like sensory deprivation and basically tortured people to see what kind of stuff they could um they could make people do essentially um so yeah this is what america did uh it started in 1953 now, I just want to look something up. Uh, Vecna, Stranger Things. Because I want to see when he was born. So he was age 12 in 1959. Which kind of makes... It kind of makes this a bit null and void. Um, because obviously he wasn't a result of a pregnancy from... Um, from MK Ultra, though Eleven was, um, which okay, because uh, you know we see that uh, Vecna is just uh, what's his name Creel. Oh my gosh, I've got his name. Um, his name is. Uh, oh my gosh, how did I forget? I know his father's name is Victor Creel. Um. Yes, yeah, so he was born in 1947, which is what far before the experiment started. So, okay, his name is Henry Creel. That's it. So Henry Creel obviously was born before the MK Ultra experiment started 
in our timeline at least they could just say oh these experiments have been happening for a while and the declassified documents are fakes or whatever um yeah so so yeah the way that that the these powers that they have were explained was that they were born from people who went through mk ultra like 11th moment through mk ultra and uh eight as well so speaking of which i didn't i didn't understand how eight fit into this um but turns out that i think there was a group of kids with all different powers and stuff that's why eight had like illusory powers and sort of getting into the minds of people and stuff like that um and then she ran away there must have been other kids there as well and then the new kids they all do telekinesis and telepathy um because they all seem to have the same powers and stuff like that i'm not sure they kind of like they kind of touched on it because people didn't like that but i also I, I did like it to be honest i did like it um so yeah let's look at mk um uh, actually no, we'll look at mk ultra later um i wanted to i want to finish discussing stranger things first um because that's mk ultra is messed up um so yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed the villain of this, and I think that the uh, it was good seeing the the boys be friends again because I feel like in season three there was a lot of disconnect between the friendships and stuff like that. It didn't feel like they enjoyed each other's company, <laughs> but I mean we get more of that with the Hellfire Club and uh, you know Will's whole path of you know he he's gay he's gay Will Byers is gay. Uh, I don't think anybody's disputing that. But, uh, you know, the the whole journey of him trying to, like, realize that and how he's going to tell people, that's really interesting because this is the 80s, you know? We, we, we barely tolerate gay people now, which sounds terrible to say, but, like, you know, certain uh, politicians releasing certain bills that make it easy to discriminate against um, certain people kind of prove that. Um yeah, but this was like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Oh my gosh. Um so yeah, it's interesting to sort of touch on these stories in a time where things were very different. Um yeah, I, I yeah, so what else did I enjoy about the season? I think the the way that they did some of the uh the world building, how the upside down looks like Hawkins when Will went missing and I got confused because I thought that the Upside Down was created when um, L sent uh, Vecna back, sent Vecna into um, the Upside Down but turns out Vecna landed in this desolate place and then it became looks like Hawkins when Will was um, brought in which it's interesting because it means did Will create the Upside Down to look the way it looks? Does Will have some kind of... Because we know Will has a connection to the Mind Flayer now. Was that connection always there for some reason? Um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered there. Well, I don't know if they're going to get answered though, which kind of sucks. But yeah, so... This season did a really good job at opening up the world a bit more and answering some questions that we had and sort of giving us insights that maybe we wouldn't have realized that we wanted. Especially into Elle's time in uh, prison, not prison, I mean prison, in the experimentation and like how the fact 
that you know she had a mum at some point, but then suddenly she just forgot how to speak. That's because she suffered immense trauma. Um, but yeah, let's talk about some of the negatives I think of this season because um, there are a few. There are a few. Like I said, I kind of wished that they had some kind of cohesion between all these different people, and maybe having all these different people isn't such a good idea. Um, and, you know, we, we left the season on a cliffhanger with stakes, which, you know, with Max being in a coma and Eddie being dead. Uh, another positive, Eddie was such a fun character, misunderstood in the most classic sense, and we see so much growth from him in a, such a short amount of time. Um, I'm really. It sucks that he's gone, but I hope he makes a return at some point. You know, they can cheese it. Uh, but yeah, so all these different characters that they introduced, I think, drew back the progress that they can make. So you had to each character had to have an arc, had to have a relationship with another character, and that was a lot of time to spend on when one of the best villains is out there doing some pretty terrible stuff. Um, trying to think of some other downsides that I didn't quite like um I think that's that's like the main thing I think I think everything else was pretty on point I think that John, Jonathan was not worth being in the season he didn't do anything at all he went from this totally driven caring brother to this stoner and then to a background character who shares one moment with another character and that's it and they really kind of took away from the Jonathan and Nancy connection in favor of Steve and Nancy. I hate love triangles. I hate the whole, oh, there's two boys and one girl. I'm like, to me, that is boring writing. It's boring writing. And it's kind of why, I mean, I re- recently re- rewatched all the Twilight movies and the lore is fine. The lore is okay. The The thing that, sucks is the whole you know team jacob team edward there is no team jacob and team edward it's literally team edward the entire time and jacob is watching from the corner (laughs) if you watch those movies bella is never interested in jacob she never wants to be with jacob she wants to be with edward the entire time but jacob just keeps pushing himself onto her and is not okay like if that was came out today that would not have flown um, but yeah, so I'm not a big fan of love triangles. I think it's lazy writing, and I feel like it makes unnecessary tension. Be adults, talk about it. You know what I mean? Have a thruple if you must. Um, so yeah, what else didn't I like? I feel like Max wasn't used to the best of her ability this season. She became quite literally a victim and only a victim. You know, she had some kind of growth between her and Lucas, because Lucas was, you know, still a boy, and Max was, you know, she she was forced to grow up, so she kind of became distanced. I like the fact that they did that, because it shows that there's, you know, it was less that, you know, they just fell out. It was just, no, they grew apart. But now Lucas really sort of stepped up and, you know, reinvented himself. But Max just became this kind of shell of who she's been, and then she was just relegated as victim. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I I wish that she did a bit more. I wish that they did more with her character. You know, Nancy's always the badass. She's always like 
going around shooting people and you know they they, they shaved L's hair again kind of wish they didn't do that but yeah I don't know I feel like splitting up everything and compartmentalizing the stuff it kind of took away from the potential that we could have seen but that saying in that saying that I still really enjoyed it I still enjoyed it very much and I had a good time with it so you know what if you disagree let it be known tell us your verdict message our instagram the verdict underscore ipl and tell us what you think make your own post tag us in it do whatever you want uh we want to hear your thoughts um i'll see if we can find a way to get some kind of like maybe anonymous feedback something so we can hear people's thoughts and on things we put out during the week but it is time for some music so we can pay for you know, rent or whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is Guns N' Roses. We'll, well, I'll be back in a few minutes. So stick around, uh, get a glass of water, think about the future. I'll be back soon. The best music from the 60s to today. IPL Radio. And welcome back. This is the first time I've done this. So, um, before the break I was talking about Stranger Things and all the things I loved and maybe didn't like as much and you know it got me onto the idea of talking about MK Ultra, which I'm fascinated with it's crazy what actually happened and I will talk about that but then I also realized wait a second I found the next topic that's right it's all the human rights violations the CIA have done so um yeah we're gonna talk about that um I'm not sure for how long, but for enough to get this point across. So, essentially, I just want to clarify why I want to talk about this. So, I'm not sure if I made it clear, but I'm not really a big fan of the current policing system that we have, in in the Western world, um, particularly, um, because the police, it seems, only really exists to protect the elite. And by that I mean, um, you know, if someone who's rich and powerful uh, has a crime committed against them and you, a person in your home, perhaps you're a low-income earner, had the same crime committed against them, they will probably not care about you. You'll get swept on the rug. You'll be dealt the bare minimum interaction. You know, uh, the laws that get put into place are put into place by the elite and the police enforce those laws. So you can see where I'm going with this. Um... So yeah, uh, one of the th- yeah again, the, one of the things that I am not a fan of is the CIA, um, mainly because they are probably policing in its most aggressive form. Unlike the FBI, which often run investigations and work on a federal level, the CIA work as almost the um, how should I put this? The operations behind international and national security in America. And this has, throughout history, not been good. The CIA have committed several human rights violations and several acts of straight-up murder and uh, privacy violations and, uh, you know, all the things that people hold dear to them, they violate them, Uh, you know. And the reason why I bring this up is so much of our media, it's what's called copaganda. Now, 
that the portmanteau of the word propaganda and cops. You know, your NCIS, your CSI, your... Unfortunately, your Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, falls under this, which kind of sucks. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that these shows are bad because they're copaganda. I'm just saying, saying that these shows are copaganda. And I'm going to continue watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, even though I know it's there to display the police in a way which might not be a, re- a good representation or an accurate representation, I might say, even though they do address a lot of issues on that show. Uh, But yeah, all of these shows uh, that have the CIA, the FBI, um, all these intelligence agencies at the center of them, this this is propaganda in the highest right. And, you know, it's fun when the quirky science man from this show says something funny, and then in real life, um, they're bombing brown people in the Middle East, you know? Uh... So I thought it'd be interesting to sort of delve into the history of um, issues that have come up. But I want to start with MKUltra because it's probably the one I'm most familiar with and it's probably one of the ones that is most interesting and had probably one of the weirdest um, repercussions. Repercussions? The weirdest uh, aftermath, I guess. So, like I said earlier, MKUltra was sort of this CIA-funded experiment where they were trying to basically, essentially understand how they could manipulate minds. And, you know, part of it was believing that the Russians... Um, I be- This uh, this is uh, from what I learned. Um, is believing that the Russians had some kind of uh, telepathic weaponry and technology. And this is, you know... Before the Red Scare, but, you know, the Russia-America relationships have never been uh, fantastic. So, yeah, they basically wanted to find a way to counteract that. And to do that, they would, you know, forcibly put people through terrible things. They would torture them, inject them with drugs against their will, and basically, you know, push their body and brain to the limit to see what happens, to see if they could bend their will and to see if they uh, could do violate human rights intentionally uh, if that makes sense and so what happened was a series of of experiments were carried out um, between uh, let's have a look at the dates here Uh, began in 53 and then they sort of limited it from 64 to 67, and then it's in 1973 when they stopped it. So, which is quite recent, you know, many people who have shows at this radio station were alive during the MKUltra experiments. Um, which, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So it was basically just uh, ways to find the best way to torture and interrogate people. See if they could warp people's minds and get access to them. So, yeah, so I'm going to read an excerpt from wikipedia.org. Um, MKUltra was the first was first brought to public attention in 1975 by the Church Committee of the United States Congress and Gerald Ford's United States President's Commission on CIA Activities Within the U.S., within the U.S., also known as the Rockefeller Commission. So the CIA have been committing such atrocities that people are setting up commissions and whole squads to try and uncover stuff. Um, 
investigative investigate oh my gosh it, it seems like you know I, I spend a day at work just talking to people all, all I've done today is talk to people so like my mouth is cotton uh, investigative efforts were hampered by CIA director Richard Helms order that all MK Ultra files be destroyed in 1973 now that's when the same year that they halted the um, the, the actual experiments uh, the Church Committee and the Rockefeller Commission investigations relied on the sworn testimony of direct participants and on the small number of documents that survived Helm's order. In 1977, a Freedom of Information Act request uncovered a cache of 20,000 documents relating to MKUltra, which led to Senate hearings. Some surviving information about MKUltra was declassified in 2001. So let's put this into scope, right? The head of the CIA at the time realized that they were getting investigated. He destroyed as much evidence as he could. And from that surviving evidence, some of that evidence was then declassified in 2001, which means that a lot of the surviving evidence is still classified, and that isn't even all the evidence that was recouped in this uh, Freedom of Information Act. That's terrifying when you think about it. Because you've got to think, you know, if I was a CIA director and I wanted to keep stuff secret and I knew that people were coming after me, I would destroy the most damning things first. I would get rid of the evidence that makes it, you know, unreasonable doubt that I am a bad person. Which means that that's probably what he did. Right? That's probably the stuff that he got rid of was the stuff that is terrible. Um, yeah. And just so you know, all of these experiments were conducted on American citizens. Yeah, so just an excerpt from the CIA document suggests that they investigated chemical, biological, and radiological methods of mind control as part of MKUltra. They spent an estimated 10 million or more, roughly 87.5 million adjusted for inflation. That's US dollars as well. Um, yeah, this entire this entire um, situation is messed up. Oh gosh, I'm reading, okay, so I'm going to read two paragraphs, and I think they're going to sort of really um, make you feel gross with the situation. So, once MKUltra got underway in April 1953, experiments including administering LSD to mental patients, prisoners, drug addicts, and prostitutes, and then in quotation marks, people who could not fight back as one agency officer put it. That is horrible. So, I've talked about the prison complex in America before on the show, and, you know, prisoners basically get stripped of rights, they get stripped of uh, everything, and they they fund America, which is crazy. And mental patients, especially in the fi- in 50s, there was so much stigma around them, and they're probably what educated, you know, back then... When we think about how we look at mental health now, where there's still stigma, there's still misinformation, there's still inappropriate diagnosis happening now, and this was uh, 70 years ago. Uh, it's terrible. Okay, so in one case, they administered LSD to a mental patient in t- Kentucky for 174 days. They also administered LSD to CIA employees, military personnel, doctors, other government agents, and members of the general public to study their reactions. I'll speak more on that later. Um, 
LSD and other drugs were often administered without the subject's knowledge or informed consent. A violation of the Nuremberg Code in the U.S. had agreed to follow after World War One, World War Two. Sorry, so we know that World War Two was a um, place for experimentation, Nazi experiments and stuff. And then Project Paperclip, which is essentially the U.S. deciding that these Nazi doctors they're too valuable. Let's bring them onto our side and let's uh, let's see what we can get from them. And that led to a lot of stuff like the Manhattan Project and a lot of the atomic warfare that we see. Um, so yeah, informed consent. So fun fact, uh, the Code of Ethics and Psychology came into effect in the 60s, which meant that every single... I think it's the 60s. Um, somebody can double-check me on that. Um, but the important bit of information is a Code of ethic was, Ethics was um, enforced in um, the pre-2000s. And essentially that meant that any psychological experiment had to follow a strict guidelines to ensure the safety of the participants and the, um, the those conducting the experiments. And for the most part, it has been good to the scientific community that this has happened. There are some downsides, one being that a lot of the stuff that we learnt, we've learnt because we've violated ethics. We've learned because we've put kids in terrible situations. We've made people think that they've killed other people. And we've been able to study this. Um, but unfortunately, that causes harm. And that means that we can't do that anymore. And so I guess parts of uh, psychological study have slowed down because of it. Which is a small price to pay for the fact that people are being treated with respect. Now, obviously, these... Uh, these testings uh, violated that. Bef- this was before that code of ethics was put into place for uh, psychological research, and specifically. But obviously, the U.S. had decided that maybe we should be um, treating uh, experiments and people who are go- undergoing experimentation with respect. And the CIA, the CIA, decided, nah. Um, so yeah, the aim. So. This is continuing the paragraph. The aim of this was to find drugs which would bring out deep confessions or wipe a subject's mind clean and program them as a robot agent. So the idea of sleeper agents, this is where this comes from. Sleeper agents are um, basically people that you can uh, hypnotize to uh, not even know that they're part of a project and then they you say a word or a phrase or something and it activates them. There's a movie with Jesse Eisenberg and Chris Stewart called... American Ultra, which is based on this. And it's a really good movie, actually. It's interesting. It's sort of unique in its... Uh, it's it's an indie film. Um, but it's very good. I quite enjoyed it. Okay, I'm going to continue this. So, in Operation Midnight Climax... Again, that sounds like a... Th- that sounds like a really good adult movie title. <laughs> I hate that I said that. The CIA set up several brothels with agency safe houses in San Francisco to obtain a selection of men who would be too embarrassed to talk about the events. Wow. Okay, the men were dosed with LSD, the brothels were equipped with one-way mirrors, and the sessions were filmed for later viewing and study. In other experiments where people were given LSD without their knowledge, they were interrogated under bright lights with doctors in the background taking notes. They told subjects that they would extend their trips if they refused to reveal their secrets. Now, one of the things about uh, psychedelics is they extend... They sort of basically hyper-extend your current state of existence. So if you're anxious and you take psychedelics, you're going to become anxious to the nth degree. So if people are being interrogated and they're like, hey, we're going to keep you tripping if you don't tell us. Like, that's terrifying. 
The people under this interrogation were CIA employees, U.S. military personnel, and agents suspected of working for the other side in the Cold War. Jeez. Long-term debilitation and several deaths resulted from this. Heroin addicts were bribed into taking LSD with offers of more heroin. What? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um... Oh, jeez. Oh, gosh. I'm just reading ahead to see what other terrible stuff... Um... Yeah, okay, so... Let's have a look here. So, uh, the experiments are continue. This is way further down. I've just skipped a couple bunch of stuff. Um... Okay, okay. Uh... Okay, actually, no, I'm going to read this entire section. This is... Uh, have they mentioned this guy's name yet? Sorry, I'm just making... I want to give this information that it's compact. Um, okay, so adverse reactions often occurred, such as op an operative, so this is someone who works at CIA, who received the drug in his morning coffee, became psychotic and ran across Washington, seeing a monster in every car passing him. The experiments continued even after Frank Olson, an army chemist who had never taken LSD, was covertly dosed by his CIA supervisor and nine days later plunged to his death from the window of a 13th-story New York City hotel room, supposedly as a result of a deep depression induced by the drug. According to Stephen Kinzer, Olsen had approached his superiors sometime earlier, doubting the morality of the project, and asked to resign from the CIA. Wow. So this guy said, hey, this looks bad. And the CIA went, you're right. Do you want a coffee, by the way? And he went, sure. And then nine days later, he killed himself. <sighs> so, oh, this line sucks. Some subjects' participation was consensual, and in these cases, they appeared to be singled out for even more extreme experiments. In one case, seven volunteers in in, conduct, in Kentucky were given LSD for 77, 77, 77 consecutive days. Whew. This is rough to read. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm not going to read any more on MKUltra just because... Yikes. But, interesting fact, I've talked about it on the show before, especially when we're talking about serial killers back in the day. So, there's a man called Ted Kaczynski. He is uh, a famous serial killer and terrorist in the US. He is also known as the Unabomber. U-N-A-B-O-M-B-E-R. He basically blew up a bunch of uh, institutions and people who are involved in sort of technology and emerging sciences and stuff like that. Now, he sort of... His ideology, which in of itself isn't terrible, his ideology was that, you know, technology is kind of warping our relationships with one another. It is stripping away humanity of what it is. Which, if you heard that by itself, you'd be like, ha, that's a valid idea. But then he'd kill people, so less valid. Um, turns out he had actually been a part of the MKUltra experiments whilst he was in university. 
he I think he got to university. He was a he was a smart kid, right? He got into university uh like at the age of 16. I think he's in like one of the Ivy League ones. And yeah, he got the MK Ultra experiments done on him and it led to him becoming one of the most well-known terrorists and serial killers in America. I'm not saying that those two things are related, but I'm just but I am saying sounds like they're related. Um yeah, how te- Jeez, so this is all done by the CIA, by the way. So, the CIA did this. It, this experiment ran for 20 years. People who tried to leave the experiment were then became a part of the experiment. This, it's, it's, it's crazy. So, yeah, I looked up other human rights violations um, by the CIA, and there are many different resources out there. There are entire networks and people dedicated to sort of holding the CIA accountable for what they did. Um, yeah, so I'm currently on a Wikipedia called The List of CIA Controversies. Um, so, um, The Legacy of Ashes, The History of the CIA by Tim Wiener. <laughs> Tim Wiener, what a man. Accused the CIA of covert actions and human rights abuses. Um, Jeffrey T. Reichelson of the National Security Archive has been critical of its claims. Intelligence expert David Wise, his last name's Wise, it's got to be good, faulted Wiener <laughs> for portraying Alan Dulez as a do- doddering old man rather than the shrewd professional spy he knew and for refusing to concede that the agency's leaders may have... Anyway, so this is basically... Um, a book came out about the hit, the controversies of the CIA, and it has been, uh, it has been sort of what's the word um, scrutinized. So there are so many different uh, chapters here. So I'm just going to read out the chapters, and then for some that I want to go into, I'll go into them. So the first one is domestic wiretapping. So in the height of the anti-war movement in the U.S., CIA directed Hel- CIA director Helms. He's the same guy who did who burned all the a- MK Ultra documents. This guy sounds like kind of a douche. Um, had received a message from Henry Kissing- Kissinger. Um, who was a, a a politician in America, ordering him to spy on the leaders of the groups requesting a moratorium on Vietnam. So, if you know Vietnam was this terrible war that didn't need to be didn't need to happen, Americans lost the war. It was bloody, and it led to the death of many people, and is still affecting generations of people who live in Vietnam today. If you want to be more sad about that, just look up the Agent Orange uh, situation that uh, kind of led to a lot of this, and um, yeah, read that up. I'm not going to talk about that today because that's its own thing, and it sucks. Um, so yeah, so since 1962, three successive presidents, so that's one after another, right, had ordered the Director of Central Intelligence to spy on Americans. Now, this is kind of like a well-known thing that America loves to, you know, the NSA, they love to listen in on everything that's going on. And, you know, that's that's kind of a clue that this isn't good. Um, so let me go to the next thing. So security failures. So apparently in 2009, a suicide attack occurred in the forward operating base Chapman, uh, that's the name of the base, 
in coast in Afghanistan. Several CIA officers, including the chief of the base, were killed. Six others were seriously wounded. Essentially, I think what that's talking about is, like, if the CIA is so good at their job, why did they get blown up? Which, I, it's not funny. It's not funny. It isn't, but... um. It's amusing a little bit. So, uh, counterintelligence failures. So, perhaps the most disruptive incident involving counterintelligence was James Jesus Angleton or James Jesus Angleton's search for a mole. Based on the statements of a Soviet defector, Anatoly Golitsyn, a second defector, Yuri Nasenko, challenged Golitsyn's claims with the two calling one another Soviet double agents. Many CIA officers fell under career-ending career suspicion. The details of the relative truths and untruths from Nasenko and Galitsyn may never be released, or in fact, may not be fully understood. The accusations also crossed the Atlantic into the British intelligence service, which was also damaged by the mole hunts. Edward Lee Harry... Oh, God. Edward Lee Howard, David Henry Barnett, both field operate operations officers sold secrets to Russia. William uh, Campeles, a low-level worker in the CIA 24-hour operations center, sold the Soviets a detailed operation manual for the KH-11 reconnaissance satellite, which uh, was the first satellite launched by uh, the American National Reconnaissance Office. Um, it's a spy satellite as well, which is hilarious. I, I remember I, I read someone, the guy that was put in charge, I don't think this is this instance, but a guy got put in charge of finding the mole, but the guy that got put in charge of it ended up being the mole, which is hilarious. So there's an entire section here on human rights violations. Concerns, sorry. I want to go into this so you can really uh, understand the depth of uh, how terrible it all is. Um, so the CIA has, has been called into question for, at times, using torture funding and training groups and organizations that would later participate in killing of civilians and other non-combatants and would try or succeed in overthrowing democratically elected governments, human experimentation, and targeted killings and assassinations. The CIA has also been accused of a lack of financial and whistleblower controls which has led to waste and fraud. Now, speaking about overthrowing democratically elected governments... When Gus was on the show, we were talking about different um, government systems and the idea of socialism and stuff like that and communism and how, you know, there has never been a successful communist state. Uh, one of the reasons is the CIA will throw, overthrow anyone... Well, I think it was Cuba and Venezuela were both more socialist than they were capitalist and the CIA, the CIA funded coups in those countries and basically destabilized them and ruined them. And yeah. Anyway, so I'm just going to continue this paragraph. So during Bush's year in charge of the CIA, the U.S. national security apparatus actively supported Operation Condor operations. Uh, Operation Condor was a United States-backed campaign of political repression and state terror involving intelligence operations and assassinations of opponents. It was officially and formally implemented in November 1975 by the right-wing dictatorships of the Southern Cone of South. Jeez. So, um, so they supported Operation Condor operations and right-wing military dictatorships in Latin America. According to John D. 
Dinguez, author of The Condor Years. Documents released in 2015 revealed a CIA report dated April 28, 1978, that showed the agency by then had knowledge that U.S.-backed Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet ordered the assassination of Orlando Letelier, a leading political opponent living in exile in the United States. So the Chilean dictator killed someone living in the U.S. um, who was an opposition to them, and the CIA had knowledge that this had taken place... And didn't do anything. Alright. <laughs> Jeez! Okay. Ugh, I'm going to keep going because this is really interesting. Um, it's all on Wikipedia as well. This information is free to access. And one of those things that you, you should be critically aware is if this information is free to access and be observed by us as people with no ties to the CIA or any government institution, what don't we know? There's a question you should always ask yourself. What don't we see? If we see anything be declassified, anything be revealed, how much, you know, we see, it's literally the tip of the iceberg. How much of that, how much involved there are we not seeing? It's like, sometimes, I'm I'm not, I don't want to say I'm a conspiracy theorist, but sometimes I believe that um, governments will release certain stuff to keep us from, questioning everything else so they'll you know say we come at them and we're like hey we think you've been doing x y and z they'll release or they'll leak or they will declassify something that says hey we've been doing x y and z over here what you know oh hate us for a bit when in reality they've been doing a a through to z everywhere but they're just using like this little uh uh bit of information to allow people to focus on it and ignore anything else potential that could be going there. I feel like governments do that all the time, and and I think we should sort of be conscious of that when we see this kind of information, because who knows what else is happening. You know, if we know what we know, there's so much that we don't know. Um, yeah, so let me just carry on. So the Institute of on Medicine as a Profession and the non-for-profit organization Open Society Foundations reviewed public records into the medical professions alleging complicity in the abuse of prisoners suspected of terrorism who were held in U.S. custody during the years after 9-11. Now, this has been known for a while, you know, the whole Guantanamo Bay where these people were tortured, essentially. Um, Let me just continue. So the reports found that health professionals aided cruel and degrading interrogations, helped devise and implement practices designed to maximize disorientation and and anxiety so as to make detainees more malleable for interrogation, and participated in the application of excruciating... Oh my gosh, words are hard, man. Excruciatingly painful methods of force-feeding of mentally competent detainees carrying out hunger strikes yikes um medical profession professionals were sometimes used at black sites to monitor detainee health whether or not the physicians were compelled is an open question so that's directly from the wikipedia there um oh gosh so we're halfway through this human rights concerns section so bear with me i find this stuff really interesting because we don't think about it a lot. We don't think about, 
you know, governments are very, very powerful. In Australia, we look at our government and, like, especially the past, what, however many years we've had of a liberal government, and we're like, we, we look at that and we're like, they can't get anything done. <laughs> they seem so incompetent. When that could be a facade, who knows? We, you know, a lot of American presidents have not been good presidents. Uh, a lot of them, they've been either underqualified or just terrible people. And we look at them and their competency, and then we're like, are they good people? Probably not. And are they good at their job? Probably not. When in reality, all this stuff is happening because of them, essentially. And, you know, it's not good, but it's interesting to read. Other humans' rights issues, so you might remember this one, actually. Other human rights issues that are controversial include the case of Edward Snowden. However, the significance of human rights does not fall into this case regarding whether Snowden received his fair trial or not. Rather, the human rights associated with the Snowden leaks are regarding the types of documents Snowden released. Snowden released a significant amount of information on the U.S. government's surveillance program of its citizens. So, if if you remember, I'm not sure what year this was, actually, um, but I feel like it was 2013, uh, a man named Edward Snowden just released a bunch of documents that basically showed America that their governments were spying on them in worse ways than they could even think about. And, you know, it led to the sort of unveiling of the NSA. And you know that joke where it's just like, oh, my FBI agent watching me in my camera. Yet that's where all this comes from, because they realize that you were being spied on in that capacity. And it's crazy how it's become like this kind of little meme that people are just so okay with when it's such a terrible violation of your rights. You know what I mean? But what are we going to do about it? Absolutely nothing. I mean, when you look, the US government, uh, they tried to... Uh, so some laptop companies and some like computer companies obviously you know laptops that have the webcam installed they installed like covers covers on their webcam so you could just close the webcam so you couldn't be spied on America uh, I'm not sure if it was a CIA or a specific American institution but they like hated that they went nah we, we, we're not going to bring this into our country blah, blah 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 you know because it stops them being able to spy on the people in their country which speaks to another thing. Why are you spying on the people in your country? Is it that your country is that unstable? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's a lot I can say about this. Um, yeah, so particularly between between on or about June 5th, 2013 and June 9th, uh, classified information was published on the internet and in print by multiple multiple newspapers, including the Washington Post and the Guardian. The articles and internet postings by the Washington Post and Guardian included classified documents that were marked top secret. They later revealed uh, that Snowden was the principal source for the classified information. Um, in a videotaped interview with the Guardian, uh, he admitted that he was the person who illegally provided those documents to reporters. Evidence indicates that Snowden had access to the classified documents in question, accessed those documents and subsequently provided those documents to media outlets without authorization and in violation of US law. Furthermore, the leaks included documents at many levels of the National Security Security Agency, the NSA, electronic surveillance activities. The Snowden leaks have generated broad public debate over issues of security, privacy, and legality yeah, uh, legality inherent in the NSA's surveillance of communications by American citizens. 
The records include White House and the ODNI efforts to explain, justify, and defend the programs, correspondence between outside critics and executive branch officials, fact sheets and white papers distributed and sometimes later withdrawn by the government, key laws and court decisions, both Supreme Court and Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, documents on the Total Information Awareness uh, Program. So, yeah, basically, the US have been spying on their citizens for what reasons we don't know exactly and that's terrifying um, there's a little picture of the Twin Towers up in smoke and it's, critics assert that funding the Afghan um, Muha, mm, Mujahideen, Mujahideen that sounds about right Operation Cyclone played a role in causing the 9-11 attacks jeez uh, yeah. So, this is a different Wikipedia page, but it's referencing MK Ultra with external investigations document releases. So that's investigations led by the Church Committee and Rockefeller Commission and Pike Committee have conducted about the CIA, and many documents have been declassified. Um, yeah. Oof, this is interesting. So, influencing public opinion and law enforcement. This this is still in the list of CIA controversies. So, the CIA sometimes finds itself in conflict with other parts of the government when there is a disagreement over the legality of specific covert programs. There's always the risk that one part of the government may make the covert operations of another part of the government public. Oof. So, the CIA, then another section, the CIA recruitment of Nazis. <laughs> In 2014, the New York Times reported that in the decades after World War II, the CIA and other United States agencies employed at least a thousand Nazis as Cold War spies and informants, and as recently as the 1990s, concealed the government ties to some still living in America. Newly disclosed records and in interviews show. So according to Timothy, Timothy uh, Naftali, the CIA's central concern in recruiting former Nazi collaborators, collaborators was not so much the extent of the criminal's guilt as the likelihood that the agent's criminal past could remain a secret. Jeez. Oh my gosh. So there's a little excerpt the side here. Alexandrus Lelakis, a Nazi... I don't care if I get his name wrong because he's a Nazi. A Nazi unit commander who oversaw the murder of 60,000 Jews in Lithuania later worked for the CIA that is rough and like look we're talking about all this stuff and I'm burning through this you know quite quickly because if I wanted to talk about this in depth I, it would take me about a week right but these kinds of situations really bring personal um, values into scope right we look at a lot of Americans there are Americans out there who believe in their country so much, and they believe that their country is anti-fascist, anti-dictatorship, and certain aspects of the country, objectively, might fall into that, and other parts might not. Now, what if you were to approach people with these values, with the evidence that America is built by Nazis? You know, America got the support of Nazis to help further itself, would would that would the person then maybe think reevaluate their feelings on America or do you think that they are very um 
what's the word? Um, I don't want to say brainwashed, but sort of disillusioned to the idea that America is great. Now, okay, I'm talking about America a lot here, but that's because this is America. You know, don't catch your sleeve up. <laughs> no, um, this is like America is the ones that are doing this for a reason. You know, they've got an ideology to protect, and they're gonna do it. Um, which is, uh, yeah. Oof. Okay, so I'm just reading a couple stuff. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up another uh article. I'll continue with this one. So this is drug trafficking now. Two officers of CIA Directorate of Analysis have an analytically analytical responsibilities in this area. The Office of Transnational Issues applies unique functional experts to assess existing and emerging threats to U.S. national security. Provides the most senior policymakers and law enforcement with analysis, warning, and crisis support. Um, so there's a whole talking about how this stuff works. I don't care about that. The last line, research by Dr. Alfred W. McCoy, Gary Webb, and the and others has pointed to CIA involvement in narcotics trafficking across the globe. Although the CIA officially denies such allegations. Of course they would. Why would they admit it? Um, oh, jeez. Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, who's still in um, in office, uh, she's very outspoken spoken about Trump, uh, has stated that the CIA repeatedly misled Congress over since 2001 about waterboarding. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically um, you, you, you put like a cloth or some kind of uh, material over someone's mouth and you pour water on them. And even though the water stops flowing, they cannot breathe still. You basically drown them above ground and you, you, you use this to try and strip them away, chip at them, and make them fear death. It's terrible. It is a human rights violation. It goes against, I believe, the Geneva Convention, but the CIA are never doing it. Anyway, um, misled Congress since 2001 about waterboard, waterboarding and other torture, though Pelosi admitted to being told about the programs. Oh, boy. Pelosi. Okay, six members of Congress have claimed that the director of the CIA, uh, Leon Panetta, admitted that over a period of several years since 2001, so that's since the 9-11 attacks, uh, the CIA deceived Congress, including affirmatively lying to Congress. Some members of Congress believe that these lies to Congress are similar to CIA lies to Congress from earlier periods. In the early 1990s, Richard Barlow asked his managers to correct the record when blatantly false statements had been made to Congress. The official mendacity only became public after Barlow sued the U.S. Department of Defense for wrongful termination. Gosh, they suck! <laughs> there's, a, there's a section on Wikipedia called Wikipedia Editing. In 2007, the now-defunct database Wikiscanner revealed that computers from the CIA had been used to edit articles on the English Wikipedia, including the Iraq War article in 2003. In the article on former CIA Executive Director William Colby, a spokeswoman for Wikipedia said in response that the changes may violate the Encyclopedia's Conflict of Interest Guidelines. CIA spokesman George Little said that he could not confirm if CIA, CIA computers were used to make the changes, claiming that the agency 
always expects its computer systems to be used responsibly. What a cop-out. So yeah, um, the Iraq war, uh, a lot of the war in the Middle East was um, sparked by 9-11 and other things that went down as well. Um, covert programs hidden from Congress. Oh, this is a big thing. Let me just have a quick scan of this so I can see for what I can make out for them. Um, okay, okay, okay. I I can't. I'm not getting any details about about this stuff. So that's I'm gonna keep going. Whew. Use of vaccination program in hunt for Osama bin Laden. The agency attracted widespread criticism after it used a local doctor in Pakistan to set up a hepatitis B vaccination program in Abbottabad. A wow, that's an interesting name. It's Abbott Abad Abbottabad in 2011 to obtain DNA samples from the occupants of a compound where it was suspected Bin Laden was living, hoping to obtain samples from Bin Laden or his children in order to confirm his presence. Oh my gosh. It is unknown whether any useful DNA was acquired from the program, but it was deemed not successful. The doctor was later arrested and sentenced to a lengthy prison term on allegedly unrelated charges. Um... There's uh, so the CIA was then criticized for endangering and undermining the trust in medical workers. Oh my gosh! The New York Times reported that the CIA's action had increased resistance to vaccination programs in Pakistan. Oh my gosh! Oof. Okay, I'm almost at the bottom. You can bear with me. We've got two more things. Resignation of officials and agents who would not work for Donald Trump. In February 2017, reports emerged that key experts within the CIA were resigning because they would not work for U.S. President Donald Trump. The Middle East Eye reported that two agents, Americans, who operated spy rings within ISIS, had resigned because they, in quotes, did not want to see the contacts who worked for them sacrificed due to incompetence and anti-Muslim prejudice from within Trump's inner circle. Ned Price, a CIA official since 2006, stirred controversy when he published an op-ed in the Washington Post explaining why he he surprised himself by resigning after he perceived Trump using his visit to CIA HQ for partisan political posturing. Jeez. So this isn't even, this doesn't even seem like it's a CIA issue, but more like a Trump issue. They left because they didn't want to see spies get killed because of anti-Muslim rhetoric. That's insane. So in March 2017, WikiLeaks had produced more than 8,000 documents, published more than 8,000 documents on the CIA. The confidential documents, codenamed Vault 7, dated from 2013 to 2016, including details on the CIA's software capabilities, such as the comp- the ability to compromise cars, smart TVs, and web browsers, browsers including Chrome, Edge, Firefox, and Opera as well as the operating systems of most smartphones, including Apple iOS and Google's Android, and other operating systems such as Microsoft Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Whoa! WikiLeaks did not name the source, but said the files had circulated amongst former U.S. government hackers and contractors in an unauthorized manner, one of whom has provided WikiLeaks with portions of the archive. In a 2017 speech addressing... Uh, SEIS, CIA Director Mike Pompeo referred to WikiLeaks as 
a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by the state actors like Russia. He also said that to give them space to crush us with misappropriated misappropriated secrets is perversion of what a great constitution stands for. It ends now. Oh, gosh. Okay, so that sounds like something, right? But the thing is, right, to break that down, they found out that the CIA could compromise, so obviously hack and influence uh, cars, smart TVs, and most electronic devices we use in our day-to-day and when the leaks came out, the head of the CIA basically said, now nah, guys, they're Russia, and they're trying to destroy the Constitution. Which is crazy, because the CIA also seems to be trying to destroy the Constitution by violating human rights. Oh my gosh. Anyway... <laughs> Let's take a quick break from this. This is a lot to ingest in a small amount of time, and I don't feel, and I, I don't want to be responsible for someone feeling uh, like they want to cry. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to play some music. We're going to get some ads running. You can take a break, drink some water, you know, close your eyes for a little bit. We'll be back. We're going to talk about some other issues and some other covert secret stuff. I'm going to do some reading. Life is going to be good. Anyway, this is uh, Mariana by Baker Boy in your mall. We'll be back in a little bit. Stay tuned. Do you have a story to share, but don't think anyone would listen? Here at IPL Radio, we care about your story. IPL Radio is a community access radio station and has been inspiring passionate lives since July 2020, broadcasting across Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, and the UK. We're very proud of our family of presenters who come from a diverse background, including young, and young at heart with health or mental health issues or disabilities. Whether it's spreading awareness of rare conditions, supporting your event, or helping to promote your music or your business, there's a place for you in our family. We especially welcome First Nations people, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, people living with a disability and LGBTQ plus communities. Come and join us at IPL Radio. Email us at info at iplradio.org.au for more information. Okay, so I did a little bit of digging in that break while listening to some bops, which was hard because Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader is a banger. And it's really hard to get anything done while that's playing. But I managed to find some other bits of information which has aligned with what we've already been talking about. So, obviously, I've been talking about the CIA, which has been very specific of me. Um, And we all know that the CIA is an extension of the U.S. government. Um, It's an intelligence agency which operates internationally and, you know, all all that jazz, right? So, I've looked at some other stuff that America has done, and I brought it up recently, and with the discussion that we had with Gus uh, a few months back... um, so there's a Wikipedia... Again, I'm using Wikipedia for this because Wikipedia is a good source. It references everything it uses. Yeah, The idea that Wikipedia is not a good source is... Um, it's perpetuated by people that you know don't want people to have access to information. It's a free source of information, right? It's, it's something that I think uh, should stay that way. All right, so 
<clears throat> I found a page called United States and State-Sponsored Terrorism. Now, the first line is, this article is about terrorism sponsored by the United States. For allegations of U.S. state terrorism, see United States and state terrorism. Um, I think that's hilarious, first of all. Um, yeah, so the United States has been very um, vocal on the world stage when it comes to sponsoring militant groups and organizing coups to destabilize countries that af- affect their ideologies. As we know, America is a, a right-wing. It is right-wing. Um, people want to say it's, it's center. No, it's a right-wing country that uh, believes in capitalism and teeters on the edge of totalitarianism. Um, obviously, it's a democracy in the weakest sense of the word. They have a two-party system, but they're basically just the same party, just in different colors. Um, the American political system is rot with corruption, and that's all I'm going to say in that. So, they tend to sponsor and support groups of people who are actively defying the governments which they don't like. So, um, let's have a look at this. Uh... Okay, so where was I looking before? So here we go. So years of lead. The years of lead was a period of socio-political turmoil in Italy that lasted from the late 1960s to the early 1980s. The period was marked by a wave of terrorism carried out by both right and left-wing paramilitary groups. It was concluded that the former was supported by the United States as a strategy of tension. Um, is which is a policy wherein violent struggle is encouraged rather than suppressed. The purpose is to create a general feeling of insecurity in the population and make people seek security in a strong government. This is supposed to pave the way for a more authoritarian. Oh my gosh, pave the way for a more author. Wow. I why am I struggling with this word? Authoritarian. Author. Okay, I'm struggling with this word. I think I'm having a... Sh- I shouldn't say that. Authoritarian. There we go. That's the word I'm trying to get out. I don't know. So I have been noticing I'm struggling with the words lately, but I think it's because I'm in a, um, a high-stress situation. I started a new job recently, so that just comes with a lot of stress um, involved. Um, so, let me just continue. So, in general, and I'm going to say this with an Italian accent so it feels authentic. Giannadelio Maletti. <laughs> I feel like I committed a hate crime just then. Commander of the Counterintelligence Section of the Italian Military Intelligence Service from 1971 to 75 stated that his men in the region of Venice discovered a right-wing terrorist cell that had been supplied with military explosives from Germany and alleged that U.S. intelligence services instigated and abetted right-wing terrorism in Italy during the 1970s. So... I just want to break something down before I go any further. So, when you look at the political spectrum, uh, right-wing is more authoritarian. Um, It is more based around the individual. Um, The more right-wing you go, the more fascism you get, essentially. Um, Sorry, that... Actually, no, I don't want to say that, because that's misrepresented. That's me being biased. um, Because I... I'm not right-wing. I don't enjoy the right-wing. I'll represent it fairly. So... I, I, you know, because I'm putting stuff out there into the world, if I put my own bias into that, that's not good. What I should be doing is providing information, accurate information, that allows people to make the right choice. And 
if what I if what I personally believe is true, then the information I put out there should make people lean towards what I believe because that's how I view the world. However, so yeah, right wing is more about the individual over the collective. Um, the more you go, it's more about securing individual uh, wealth and success, and sometimes at the detriment of other people um, because you know in the grand scheme of things, you can only really look after yourself. Well, that's the belief, I guess. And so when we look at um, dictatorships are more right-wing generally because it's more a unified view of the way things should be. There is no room for um, contrast in discussions. Monarchies are generally more right-wing, but often they can be... Because a monarchy is run very independently and that means that you can run a monarchy however you want uh some more left-wing ideologies is in the idea of um collectivism the idea that you know you share you involve it's all about um i'm trying to say this without being biased um it's about sort of the um the idea that humanity is a collective experience so the needs and wants of the collective are more important than the needs and wants of the individual. I think that's a good way to say it. Um, so if I'm going to involve myself politically in this, I personally believe, and this is, um, I just want to say, this is the perspective of me, Alex, the presenter, not the verdict. Um, but that's the whole point of the verdict is we get to give our verdicts and stuff. Um, we have sort of a politically diverse view on things, I think. Um, but yes, yeah, so if I was to personally explain what I think by that, I think that nobody should go without the basic needs of survival. So housing, food, clothes, water, uh, the things that we need to survive, no one should go without. I think that we should be able to sacrifice a little bit of something to make sure that everybody has their basic needs covered. I think that's a fundamental thing, which is why tax is important. Uh, tax allows us to pay for things that uh, we can't afford. Um, it allows us... That sounded weird. It allows us to uh, basically support one another uh, monetarily. Now, business is generally capitalist, which is more right-wing. I'll talk about that later if I come across it. So when I'm referring to right-wing and left-wing... Well, what we see is a lot more socialist, which is a left-wing ideology, and communist, which is a far-left ideology. Obviously, it's believed... Well, the, the Soviet Union represented themselves as communist, and America is a right-wing country. They kind of didn't... Ideology, they didn't like that ideology. So any country that had any kind of like left-wing support, they got... Um, they were seen as an enemy, right? You know, it's the idea of, like, the reason why Vietnam was a thing is because they thought that Vietnam was communist. And, you know, you see in a, a lot of American TV and stuff like that, it's, you know, you have the old military guy who's like, come back here, commie, or something like that, because communism is the enemy in America. And it, that's the way it's seen by the government. So we're going to see a lot more of that later in this uh, <laughs> fairly big, uh, what's the word, um, article. So... According to the investigation, so this is the years of lead. So this is America funding right-wing terrorism in Italy. According to the investigation of Italian judge, again, I'm going to hit a perfect Italian accent. 
Guido Salvini. The neo-fascist organizations involved in the strategy of tension, La Fenice, Avangardia, National Ordine Nuovo, with the troops of clandestine armed forces directly directed by the components of the state apparatus related to the CIA. So it says here that an Italian judge saw that um, the CIA funded neo-fascist organizations involved in the strategy of tension, which is, like I said earlier, it is the policy where violence is is, uh, encouraged so that people seek security in a more right-wing uh, well, I think it's I think it's designed to if you make things look bad, then people will go to anything for security, and that means more author- authoritarian uh, government, which may not which they may not wanted to go to before because things weren't bad. So any relationship going to continue the thing any relationship to the CIA of the CIA to the terrorist attacks perpetuated in Italy during the years of lead is the subject of debate. Um, Switzerland and Belgium have had. Uh, parliamentary inquiries into the matter. Woof. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. So this is now called, this is another another event called the Piazza Fontana bombing. So the Piazza Fontana bombing was a terrorist attack that occurred December twelfth, nineteen sixty nine, when a bomb exploded at the headquarters of Banca Nazionale del Agricoltura, um, the National Ag- uh, Agrarian Bank. Um, that's the translation, killing 17 people and wounding 88. The same afternoon, three more bombs were detonated in Rome and Milan, and another was found undetonated. So, Milan judge, that's this is Guido Salvini, the one I did a really good accent for earlier, indicated U.S. Navy officer David Caret on charges of political and military espionage for his alleged participation in the Piazza Fontana bombing. Salvini also opened up a case against Sergio Minetto, an Italian official of the U.S. NATO Intelligence Network and the Collaborator di Guistita. Uh, that's what it says there in Italian. I don't know what it means. And Carlo Didilio, Uncle Otto, who served as the CIA coordinator in northeastern Italy in the 60s and 70s. So, again, I want to represent this fairly. So I'm going to preface this. I'm obviously reading just of the bad things. I'm reading the instances in which this has happened. However, what these instances are showing us is that the U.S. are actively engaging in terrorism overseas. Um, you know, there, it's like that kind of joke of the internet that the U.S. is the largest terrorist organization on the face of the earth, and we're starting to see that pro- that that feels a bit bit too true. And again, I want to preface it again. I'm only talking about the stuff that. I'm reading. Um, there's probably instances where the U.S. are helping people. I'm sure it happens, but this stuff is interesting, and I think it's important to talk about. Hence, why I am. Um, so yeah, uh, the newspaper La Repubblica reported that Carlo Rocci, uh, the CIA's man in Milan, was discovered in 1995 search for information concerning Operation Gladio. Uh, let's have a look at what that is. Uh, it's a codename for a clandestine stay-behind operations of armed resistance that were organized uh, by the Western Union uh, and subsequently with NATO and the CIA in collaboration with several European... Okay, cool. Whew. This is just... this. By the way, this is just the years of lead. That's This all comes under that. 
Um, this is, uh, but the pizza from pizza Piazza Fontana bombing is one instance in the year of lead um, where an actual act of terrorism was taken out and that's important to know um, so a 2000 par- so a 2000 parliamentary report re- published by the center left olive tree cut which so when they talk about center left they're talking about the political positioning uh, center left center is probably what I would call an Australian government uh, the Labour government is more center than it is left leaning It you could say it's center left so that would be a good sort of perspective to base this on um, the Labour government is still not left wing um, the Liberal government are right wing and the Labour government are center center left that's generally how it's viewed I think um, uh, Greens are probably the most left wing major party that there is um anyway so by the center left olive tree coalition claimed that u.s intelligence agencies were informed in advance about several right-wing terrorist bombings including the december december 1969 piazza fontana bombing in milan and the piazza della loggia bombing in brescia five years later but did nothing to alert the italian authorities or to prevent the attacks from taking place Yikes. It's also alleged that Pino Rotti, a journalist and founder of the far-right Ordine Nuovo, which translates to New Order, subversive organization, received regular funding from a press officer at the U.S. Embassy in Rome. Wow. Okay. So even before the stabilizing plans that Atlantic Circles had prepared for Italy became operational through the bombings, one of the leading members of the subversive right was literally in the pay of American embassy in Rome. So that's what that report says from that um, uh, publisher. Jeez. Hearing about this, it's like, it doesn't surprise me, and that's kind of what surprises me. But hearing about it, so it feels so blatant, and it feels so like like these are breadcrumbs that kind of make us like make me realize and see what America is, right? But so many people are uh, disillusioned, I think, which is kind of why I want to talk about this stuff, you know. Um, so this is a different thing. It's called the Nicaraguan Contra. So Nicaragua well, is a country that has been. It's been rough there. Um, it has been rough in that country. Um, I read a book about some guy who survived the civil war there. He was laid on the ground. He was a boy, laid on the ground, and he was shot at. Everyone around him was killed. He did not get hit with one single bullet. Um, it's an inspiring story. I wish I knew the name of the book, um, but it was intense. So, from 1979 to 1990, the U.S. provided financial, logistical, and military support the Contra rebels in Nicaragua who used terrorist tactics in their war against the Nicaraguan government and carried out more than 1,300 terrorist attacks. This support persisted despite widespread knowledge of the human rights violations committed by the Contras. I think this was during Reagan's government. So the Contras were the various US-backed and funded right-wing rebel groups, there we go again, that were active from 1979 to 1990 in opposition to the Marxist uh, Sandinista Juanta of National Reconstruction Government in Nicaragua, which came into power in 1979. 
following the Nicaraguan Revolution. So uh, Marxist is referring to... I just want to break down these concepts because sometimes I talk about stuff and I assume that people know, but it's never fair to assume because, um, you know, people know what they know and people don't know what they know, and I don't know what that is. So, yeah, Marx... Marxist refers to Karl Marx, who was uh, one of the most famous um, left-wing communist uh, philosophers. Um, he was a Russian man, I believe. Um, you can read up on him if you want. Um, I don't know much about him specifically, like his views, but uh, Marxist refers to sort of that ideology. It's uh, left-wing. Um, I, I learned about him, and I'm like, hey, this sounds pretty all right, but that's just me personally, but I've forgotten about what it was. A lot of it's to do with um, supporting each other, essentially. It's like, um, I don't I don't want to look it up right now, otherwise I'll get distracted. So, um, so with the background, so the Sinadista National Liberation Front, this is the person who is the Marxist, overthrew the dictatorial regime of Anastasio Somoza de Bailey. Um, and established a revolutionary government in Nicaragua. The Somoza dynasty had been receiving military and financial assistance from the United States since 1936. Wow. Following the seizure of power, the uh, Sandinistas ruled the country as part of the Juanta or Junta? I don't know. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's J-U-N-T-A of National Reconstruction and later as a democratic government following free and fair elections in 1984. The Sandinistas did not attempt to create a communist society or communist economic system. Instead, their policy advocated for a social democracy and a mixed economy. So a social democracy, those are similar to a lot of the countries in the Netherlands, um, where they have, you know, like Finland and stuff like that. I, th I believe they fall under a social democracy, just so you can get some perspective. The government sought the aid of Western Europe, who were opposed the U.S. embargo against Nicaragua to escape dependency on the Soviet Union. However, the U.S. administration viewed the leftist Sandinista government as undemocratic, sorry, undemocratic and totalitarian under the ties of the Soviet-Cuban model and tried to paint the Contras as freedom fighters. So the government was headed by Daniel Ortega, uh, who won decisively in 1984 in the in the elections? The U.S. government explicitly planned to back the Contras, various various rebel groups collectively that were formed in response to the rise of the Sandinistas, as a means to damage the Nicaraguan economy and force the Sandinista government to divert its scarce resources towards the anim towards the army and away from social and economic programs. So when I describe myself as leftist, I believe that we should be supporting people with taxpayer money, essentially. And when I say support, I don't mean fund their entire life. I mean provide mental mental health aid, um, health care, housing, uh, all these things that sort of should be taken care of that allow us to become the best version of humanity that we can be. I, be you know, I, I personally feel like these kinds of programs should be in effect because the more... okay. If you put pro this is what I believe again. This is if you put programs like these into effect, soon you won't need them because you're lifting everyone up and you're sort of getting rid of the cycle of poverty. Hopefully, in a couple of generations' time. So, the aim is to not need these programs essentially. But yeah, it's it's terrifying to say that they basically so the the U.S. government put these people in a position so that they would try and 
funnel funds away from social and economic programs towards the army. Basically, just to stop their ideology. Whoa. I'm just going to read this first paragraph. So, the United States began to support Contra activities against the Sandinista government by December 1981, with the CIA at the forefront of operations. There we go again, ladies and gentlemen. The CIA provided the Contras with planning and operational direction and assistance, weapons, food, and training in what was described as the most ambitious covert operation in more than a decade. One of the purposes uh, uh, the CIA hoped to achieve by these operations was an aggressive and violent response from the Sandinista government, which in turn could be used as pretext for further military actions. Yikes. Um, I don't want to read this entire thing, but I'm going to pick out some highlights. The Contra campaign against the government included frequent and widespread acts of terror. The economic and social reforms enacted by the government enjoyed some popularity. As a result, the Contras attempted to disrupt these programs. This campaign included the destruction of health centers and hospitals that the Sandinista government had established in order to disrupt the control over the populace. So the US are giving money to these people and training them on how to do this and their response is to destroy hospitals. Um, I'll let I'll let that do the description of how I feel about that. I'll just let these act these actions speak louder than the words I'm saying right now. Oh, this next sentence is making me angry. Schools were also destroyed as the liter- literacy campaign. Apparently, I'm so illiterate I cannot read right. Now it's just yeah, okay. As the literacy campaign conducted by the government was an important part of its policy. The Contras also committed widespread kidnappings, murder, and rape. The kidnappings and murder were a product of the low-intensity warfare that the Reagan Doctrine, so Reagan is um, the US president at the time that this took place. If you watch Stranger Things, um, he's uh, Will and Nancy's parents uh, vote for Reagan. Um, He is described as one of the worst... Okay, the two views on Reagan, some say he's one of the best, some say he's one of the worst. Which which one do you think depends on your political alignment? Uh, some people can uh, track the descent of America's uh, treatment of black people, the black community, to Reagan's campaign through the war of drugs and all that other stuff. So, yeah, um, a lot of people hate Reagan. A lot, a lot of people love him for opposing reasons and I'll let you figure out which ones those are so the Reagan Doctrine prescribed as a way to disrupt social structures and gain control over the population also known as unconventional warfare um yikes so this has been advocated for and defined by the world anti-communist leagues retired US Army Major General John Singulab as low intention so this is um so this one uh, U.S. Army general who was retired is a part of the World Anti-Communist League, and this is how he describes it. So it's low-intensity actions such as sabotage, terrorism, assassination, guerrilla warfare. Jeez. So um, yeah, the U.S. funneled uh, twenty-four million in aid to the Contras. Um, so, but Reagan uh, lost a lot of support after the CIA involvement in the mining of Nicaraguan ports became public knowledge. Um, and f- they found out that Reagan had exaggerated claims about Soviet interference in Nicaragua. So I think, I think they were using the Soviet threat as a way to make it seem like they were worse than they are. 
Yikes. Uh, Congress cut off all funds for the contest in 1985 with the first Third Boland Amendment, um, which is a term describing three legislative amendments between 84 and 85, all aimed at limiting U.S. government assistance to the Contras. Neat. Um, and then, as a result, Reagan goes, I want more money, and sought to provide funds from other sources. So between 84 and 86, 30, 34 million was routed through third world countries, and 2.7 million through private sources. So private sources probably refers to an individual wanting to fund this. So it could be uh, someone who's rich or well, a group of people who are rich, uh, companies and stuff like that. That's terrifying. These funds will run through the uh, National Security Council by Lieutenant, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Oliver North, who created an organization called the Enterprise, which served as a secret arm of the NSC staff and had its own airplanes, pilots, airfield ships, and operatives. So he basically made his own little military cute um it also received assistance from other government agencies especially from cia personnel in central america these efforts commented in the iran contra affair um which was a political scandal um involving reagan funnily enough uh which facilitated funding for countries using the proceeds of arms sales to iran so uh, if I'm reading this right, they sold weapons to Iran and then used that money to fund the Contras. Money was also raised for the Contras through drug trafficking, which the U.S. was aware of. U.S. Senator John Kerry's 1988 Committee on Foreign Relations report on Contra drug links concluded that senior U.S. policymakers were not immune to the idea that drug money was the perfect solution. Jeez. Is anyone else, like, really frustrated with this? Like, I'm pissed off. Like... It's so blatant. It's so blatant. Uh, Oliver North, who's the guy that ran this, um, was sentenced to prison. They also did a lot of propaganda as well. So America funded propaganda to try and um, upset the uh, uh, Nicaragua and the governments that were there. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so... Yikes. I also looked at... um, uh, another thing, so Fidel Castro was uh, the Cuban revolutionary and politician who was leader of Cuba from uh, 59 to 2008, serving as prime minister from 59 to 76 and president from 76 to 2008. He was ideologically a Marxist-Leninist. Uh, Leninist? Is it Leninist or Leninist? Let me just double check this. I don't know how to say the things that I'm saying. Leninist and Cuban nationalist. He also served as the first secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba. Under his administration, Cuba became a one-party communist state. Industry and business were nationalized, and state socialist reforms were implemented through society. Um, Castro adopted... Le- I'm, I'm talking about Fidel Castro for a reason. Um, because America did something really, really interesting. Uh, by interesting, I mean ethically ambiguous. Not ethnically ambiguous, ethically. I want to make that distinction clear. It was very ethnically targeted, but it was ethically ambiguous. So Castro adopted leftist and anti-imperialist ideas while studying at the law, studying law at the University of Havana. After participating in re- rebellions against right-wing governments in the Dominican Republic in Colombia, he planned to overthrow Cuban President, oh my gosh, Fulgencio Batista, 
failing launching a failed attack on the Moncada barracks in 53. So I'm just going to skip a few bits. Um, uh, so Castro aligned with the Soviet Union and allowed the Soviets to place nu nuclear weapons in Cuba, resulting in the Cuban Missile Crisis and defining incident in the Cold War. So that's when we were like two seconds away from a uh, nuclear war. Um, he basically facilitated that because he lined himself with the Soviets because um, he hated America that much. So, um, adopting a Marxist-Leninist model of development, Castro converted Cuba into a one-party socialist state under the Communist Party rule, the first in the Western Hemisphere. Policies included central economic planning and expanding healthcare and education were accompanied by state control of the press and the suppression of internal dissent. Abroad, Castro supported anti-imperialist revolutionary groups backing the establishment of Marxist governments in Chile, Nicaragua, and Grenada, as well as sending troops to aid allies in various conflicts around the world. Um, I'm trying. To, I'm, I want to try and find a bit which kind of sums up. Um, yeah. Okay. So here we go. So Castro. Okay, the longest-serving non-royal head of the state. So this is him. He is the, long ser the longest serving non-royal head of state in the 20th and 21st centuries. Castro polarized opinions throughout the world. His supporters view him as a champion of socialism and anti-imperialism, whose revolutionary government advanced economic and social justice while securing Cuba's independence from U.S. hegemony. Um, that refers to the idea that the U.S. wanted like, to, to, to make everything around the world the same as the U.S., essentially. Um, that's kind of what hegemony means it's like a um that's too much to get into right now okay so critics call him a dictator whose administration oversaw human rights abuses the exodus of many cubans and the impoverished of the country's economy the reason why i want to talk about this is look he might not have been a perfect leader but essentially he was left-wing america didn't like that so america did something what was called i think i've got it open here somewhere maybe i closed it um, pardon me. Here it is. It's called the uh, Operation Peter Pan. I'm going to read this to, uh, to you, and I hope you feel as horrified as I do. Operation Peter Pan was a clandestine Max S exodus of over 14,000 unaccompanied Cuban miners aged from 6 to 18 to the United States over a two-year span from 1960 to 1962. They were... They were sent after parents feared that Fidel Castro and the Communist Party were planning to terminate parental rights and place minors in communist indoctrination centers commonly referred to as Patria po Potestad. I don't know how to say that. The program consisted of two main components, the mass evacuation of Cuban children via airplane uh, to, the, to Miami, um, and the program set up to care for them once they had arrived. Both were led by Father Brian O. Walsh of the Catholic Welfare Bureau. The operation was the largest max exodus of minor refugees in the Western Hemisphere at the time. It operated covertly out of fear that it would be viewed as anti, as an anti-Castro political enterprise. So, yeah, America basically went, we're taking all these children out of Cuba because uh, some parents feared that... Um, uh, Castro was going to overstep some rights, which, fair. Um, again, my political alignment is more ideological based, and often when people tend to do stuff, it sometimes doesn't work too well. 
Um, so, yeah, they brought these kids over, right? And, um, okay, so I'm just going to read some of the parental fears, just so we can get some context on why this was happening. If this is boring, I'm sorry, but um, essentially this, to me, is very interesting. We're seeing how the, the U.S. views everyone else and how they overstep everything. Um, so some of the fears that the parents had of these children that were taken away uh, was that the Cuban government began reforming education strategies. Skil- tr- school children were taught military drills, how to bear arms, and anti-American songs. By 61, the Cuban government would seize control of all private schools. As a result of the new social order, rumors began to swirl, orig- originating from both inside the U.S. and other anti-Castro media. Various outlets, including the Miami Herald and Time magazine, reported that Castro and his followers intended to terminate parental rights, assume custody of all Cuban children, prohibit religion, and indoctrinate them into communism. Okay, just just we just so we're aware, these are rumors. Uh, so the CIA, well, for now, unless they say later on, the CIA. Important bit there. The CIA-backed Radio Swan station asserted that the Cuban government was planning to remove children from their parents and send them to the Soviet Union. These claims lacked evidence, but given the nature of the Cuban regime, denials fell on deaf ears. These rumors combined with pre-existing worry instilled by the Spanish Civil War, during which children were evacuated to other countries, made the Patriapodestad hoax, hoax, so it's actually called a hoax in this, impossible to contain. It had already reached the Catholic Church and the general public, an opponent Pardon me, and opponents of the now openly communist regime, who did not migrate to the first wave of the exodus, began sending their children off. Jeez. So basically, America spread propaganda that this was going to happen, and to villainize um, Castro. I don't want again. I don't want to make an opinion on Castro because obviously he's very polarizing. I haven't read into him as much, and I don't want to say he was good, he was bad. What I do know is that he opposed the ideologies of, of America. So yeah, I read a couple of stuff. Um, what was it? What was it? What was it? So these are this is called Operation Peter Pan, by the way, which is cute little term. Um, Okay, so, so, I've scrolled down to where it says legacy, so this is going to give us a little bit of a wrap-up of what happened, all right? So, nearing the end of this max exodus of children to the United States, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, is that Bobby Kennedy? Uh, yeah, it is! That's, um, that's John F. Kennedy's brother! So, John F. Kennedy's brother approved funding for a propaganda film designed to assist migrant children... Uh, children's understanding of why of why their parents had made the choice on their behalf. This film elaborates on the many things for children to do with the current situation, including, but not limited to, learning, playing, and attending religious ceremonies. However, this film is careful to not mention the current events in Cuba. The film was directed by Cliff... So- okay, so essentially, um, they, they made a film saying it's basically to make America look great and also to explain why they have been sent away from their parents and wound up in America without actually talking about Cuba, which is the reason why they're here. There, sorry. 
So it's titled The Lost Apple. So maybe you can find this online. So if you're interested, it's a 30-minute short film. It follows the life of Roberto and two other young children inside the Florida City camp that was one, that was one of the main offloading sites for the children. The film was produced by the U.S. Information Agency. Um, the short film explains to young Cuban children how and why they are in the U.S. The narrator explains that camps, such as Florida City Camp, is only a temporary place for children to stay as they are meant to find other opportunities through scholarships or be housed with foster parents. Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. This makes me feel icky. Yeah, so I'll read that bit later. So, many Pedro Pans, this is what these kids are called, the Pedro Pan children, uh, which is... Uh, Spanish for Peter Pan, I believe. So Pedro is Peter Pan. Yeah. So many Pedro Pans had trouble assimilating into American society. Many were sent to the U.S. on the instructions of their parents and felt alienated by both their homeland and their new home. Some found the U.S. an unwelcoming place gripped by racial segregation. So when was this happening? Let's let's find out. Uh, I I saw it earlier on. I think it was in the is in the sixties. So it was before civil rights. Uh, the civil rights um, movement had swung into full effect. Yikes. So those who felt uncomfortable in American society often participated in the growing civil rights movement and anti-war movement, adopted the traits of uh, the growing youth counterculture, or rejected the ideology of their parents. Um, So the anti-war movement was against Vietnam, which was also a political war as well. Um... But this is interesting that the kids that was taken from Cuba just did not agree with America and they joined a bunch of these movements which were anti-American and are anti-American. And I say that feeling like that's unbiased for me to say. Many would desire to return to Cuba in the same way some others found professional success and went on to become notable people. One of such examples is Maximo Alvarez, a founder of the fuel distribution chain Sunshine Gasoline Distribution, Inc., who emigrated to the U.S. as a Petro Pan child in 1961 at the age of 13. Um, so some Petro Pan children would involve themselves in the Abdallah Organization, an organization of um, Cuban-American students educate, uh, sorry, dedicated to protesting the Cuban government and promoting Cuban-American pride. Other Pedro Pan children would adopt leftist sympathies after becoming involved in social movements in the in the U.S. in the U.S. In 1977, some Pedro Pan emigrants joined the Antonio Maceo Brigade that sympathized with the Cuban government and supported Cuban exiles traveled to Cuba. The brigade would make the first trip. Sorry, the brigade would make the first trip of Cuban exiles to Cuba. So, basically, what this is saying is like. Even though these kids were designed to be basically uh, indoctrinated by the U.S. government, they really sort of spread the field of the, sp- the spectrum. Some became anti-Cuban, um, sorry, anti-Cuban government, uh, but supporting Cuban-American pride, so the idea of, like, you can be Cuban-American and that's uh, a good thing. And others went a bit more left-wing and sort of supported Cuba and the idea you know, the policy surrounding it and tried to get people to go back there, which is crazy to think about, you know. Um, yeah. So this is an American-funded operation. They took kids. So I'll go through a wrap-up later so we can really, like, sort of sit on everything that we've talked about today. But how crazy is this? America went, oh, no, Cuba's left wing. Let me just uh, take their kids... 
Let me just let me just uh you know send in propaganda to make the parents want to give us their kids, and it worked, and it worked, but not good enough because a lot of some of these kids didn't um get sucked into the ideas that they were peddling. Um, I would. This is interesting. I would love to like learn more about this, to be honest. Or like, I want to learn a bit more about Castro, uh, just so I can make I, because right now my opinion is very uninformed. I'm basically like, hey, some ideologies were good stuff, um, with education and stuff like that. But then, you know, he's polarizing for a reason. He did stuff that people disagreed with, and. That's what happens when you idolize a person who might embody certain political ideologies is that person is still a person at the end of the day and they will disappoint you. Um, so if if someone came out and they aligned with everything I po- believed in politically, I, wouldn't, I should not idolize that person. I should idolize the policies uh, because that person may turn around and decide, you know what, maybe I'm not getting liked enough for this or maybe... These ideologies are not giving me enough um, uh, leverage over X or enough power in the situation. So I'm going to adopt different ideologies to get there. You know, people are ever changing and stuff like that. So yeah, I want to learn. I want to learn a bit more about Castro, and I might you know delve into him uh, tomorrow when I get home from work and see what he's all about and see what the hype is. Um, that's how we should talk about dictators, I think. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna pl- I'm gonna play some music. Gonna play some ads, and uh, we'll come back. We'll do a bit of a recap and really sort of walk through because I've given out a lot of information since then, and I want to digest it. I want to make sure we sit down for a good thirty minutes before we go swimming and digest this food. Anyway, uh, this is tribute by Tenacious D. Um, why? Because I can. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes while we play some music. Well, this is it. We're rounding out the end of the show. You know, I've enjoyed this. I have a little bit of... Sorry. My body just decided to make me sound really weird. Just then. Let me just clear my throat. <laughs> that is better. So... That's going to be the thing I cringe at when I listen to this episode. Not all the cringy stuff I said. That's going to be the cringy stuff I said. Anyway, I've really enjoyed the special one-on-one moment. It sucks that Michael isn't here. He's too busy being a, a great child for his dad. Um, screw you, Michael, for having your priorities straight. Um, but no, really. Um, I've enjoyed having this like little chat. I've been able to go very in-depth with some uh, interesting interesting uh uh topics so i just want to walk us through everything make make us realize what 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 just happened essentially so obviously stranger things was the thing i wanted to talk about mainly and then i remembered the mk ultra uh experiments and then i remembered how Weird and terrible. Like, I literally, I literally, when I put the music on the first time around, I had to run to the toilet. I was on the toilet, and I'm like, wait a second. The Unabomber. And, like, I, uh... (laughs) You didn't need to know that. But, yeah, I'm like, it's crazy that, like, basically, my thought was, it's crazy that the CIA managed to pull this off, receive minimal repercussions for it, 
and it created a terrorist. It created somebody who committed terrorism and is a serial killer. That to me is, I almost said magical. It's not magical. It's terrifying. Um, and then I'm like, I know like a lot of people. A lot of people are critical um, of the CIA. A lot of people are critical. And rightly so, and I just wanted to explore that with you, um, because I didn't know everything. Uh, all of that information, apart from the MK Ultra stuff and the nine eleven stuff, that was new information for me. I learned alongside with you. So obviously, we went through all the different stuff that the CIA, the CIA had done, and how they had uh, kept information secret, destroyed information secret, and the information that we managed to get out of them showed how horrific they were in a in pursuit of um what's the word? In pursuit of knowledge, I guess, uh knowledge to to te- uh terrorize and interrogate people. Yeah, that it's crazy that they got away with all that stuff, and all the stuff that they did was terrible. They killed so many people, and then you know, obviously the CIA is an extension of America, and so they can't be alone in this. And then we got to have a look at all the different stuff that America had done. Um, in so, the difference between the American government and the CIA specifically, even though the CIA often does this for the American government, is the CIA is. They do. They have an end goal, and they do whatever they want to get the end goal, which was obviously they wanted to see if they could find a way to interrogate people a lot better, or find a way to manipulate people differently, and that resulted in uh, in them committing terrible experiments on people, and also uh, uh, what's the word like torturing um, people they believe to be terrorists gross, horrible, bad, incorrect. And then, you know, you look at uh, America using the CIA, the CIA to specifically take down um, other countries that just go against their political ideals, which is insane that people aren't aware of this. For context, I live in Australia. Imagine if we found out that Australia... We Actually, we kind of did find out that some of this kind of stuff happened, that... Um, some soldiers in the Middle East killed some people, and it was a whole thing. Anyway, um, imagine if we found out that Australia funded a coup in in um the Philippines, right? Imagine the Philippines decided to, you know, President Duterte, Duterte, what? The 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 okay, case is a bad example. But imagine the president there decided to run a platform which kind of went against Australian values. They said, no more Vegemite is being imported into the country. Um, we don't want... I'm trying to think of some Australian values. Australia's got very... Not specific values like America. I imagine they said that... Oh, I'm trying to think of some interesting stuff. I don't know. You know, use your imagination for this. Imagine the Filipino president decided to... You know, came out with a bunch of anti-Australian sentiment and based his platform running on it, you know, um, and kind of, like, went out of his way to, you know, go against Australia, go against what Australia values and teaches in its core. Now, like, imagine that happened, and then we found out that 
Australia-funded uh, terrorist cell in the Philippines. Like, so imagine the the Filipino president got shot, or uh, the the establishment got blown up, or whatever. And we found out that um, that Australia funded that. That would be terrible. Actually, for context, this is um, a terrible, terrible example. And by terrible, I mean it's it's heartbreaking. Because if you remember the uh, the Bali bombings, that was a real thing that happened, and Australians died in it. Imagine if we found out that Australia funded that because of some political agenda in Bali. That would make Australia, I, I believe, we would reevaluate everything about ourselves. We would call for the arrest, the um, imprisonment of so many politicians. We would call for their arrest. We would call for inquiries and uh, commissions into this, like, as soon as that knowledge comes out. And, but then, you know, in America, it's happened repetitively. It's a pattern of behavior. And nothing's changed. Yeah, also, if you're listening to the, this in the edit, Michael, I don't know what you're going to put in the highlight. I'm so sorry. I provided nothing funny today. Uh, but yeah, like, it's a pattern of behavior, and people just accept it. Either they're ignorant or they see it happening and they go, well, that's America. You know, like, that's crazy to me. If any other, f- like, England did it, they um, they funded some stuff in the Middle East. Like, they were a part of that whole situation. But, like, again, if Australia was pulling this, it's like, I mean, we've done it in our past. Um I did, I, did, I did research on this ages ago because I was um, I had a conversation with someone about some stuff um, and essentially um, South Africa uh, with you know you know how they went through apartheid right a lot of their structures for apartheid they taken they looked at Australia and took how we treated indigenous people and they used that as a as a lot of like the grounds on which they um, would build apartheid from it was um it was, uh, I believe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this wrong, but there was a Facebook post from somebody who um, was involved in all that ages ago, and he made that known. Um, but yeah, so we've done that in our past, but obviously, you know, that was a while ago. But like recently, this has been happening. Recently, this happened. Nine Eleven was partially America's fault, unfortunately. So many people died, and that was a tragedy, and yet we don't address it enough. And it's happened so much, so often. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I don't know. It's like, it's so weird that a first world, I don't even use the word first world, a country that is a global superpower is doing this, and nobody's like, well, imagine if China did this, or North Korea did this, if they funded any other country to overthrow its government because they went against it. Like, that would be means for war. Anyway, I, I guess I'm just getting caught up in this. and I think, I think I'm being, um, what's the word? Um, overly sensitive about something that doesn't affect me. But I think it's important that we talk about this, otherwise it's going to get forgotten about. You know? We're going to forget that these atrocities have happened, and then, because if, if we know about this kind of stuff, it can make us make more informed decisions, right? Like, you know the whole vaccines thing? In America, I understand the people that didn't want to get vaccines because 
America tested uh, large black communities and injected them with, I think it was chlamydia or syphilis, to see what would happen, and did it without the knowledge. Tested them uh, under the guise of vaccinations. So, yeah, it's all... It's all um, swings and roundabouts, I guess. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining me on this sort of uh, deep dive into weird stuff. I really appreciate you sticking around. And if you want, chuck us a follow on our Instagram, the verdict underscore IPL. Send us a message there about your thoughts on the show. Um, any message. Uh, myself and Michael, we monitor the uh, Instagram. So you just be talking to us. Uh, so don't feel um, intimidated. Just um, have a look and you know message us with any feedback you have. If you want to see anything new in the show, if you want to see anything uh, for us to tackle, message us if you want to if you have any uh criticism message us if you have any things you like about it message us we really appreciate it uh share it with your friends and also check out ipl radio um the website's pretty neat we're getting all this new stuff here at the station we've got so many new presenters as well so have a look check out their shows and i'll see you next week uh let's leave you with a song that kind of describes how i feel right now this has been alex next week michael will be back and we look forward to talking then